Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to. Hey, great shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Cracked Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. We have a doozy of an episode for all of you listeners today as I am joined by a man who truly is a returning champion here on our Cracked Rackets shows, a man who was one of the first guests we featured with frequency here at CR. As simply put, we love to hear his opinions on just about anything happening in the tennis world. Of course, his credentials as a player speak for themselves, had a standout career at UCLA, was also a top 400 player on the ATP Tour, didn't do too shabby as Naomi Osaka's hitting partner either as he paired with her during a couple of her slam title runs. Of course, now we know him as co-founder and the pretty face of My Tennis HQ, an online platform with over 80,000 subscribers that provides, in my opinion, the most informative, the most entertaining online coaching you're going to find on YouTube. And all you got to do is research My Tennis HQ. You'll have everything you're looking for in their queue of videos, whether it be help from a technique perspective on your strokes or whether it's some of the tactical choices you should be thinking about making or maybe not making when you're playing on court. My Tennis HQ does such a great job of tailoring their content for any level of tennis player, whether it be a beginner, whether it be someone at the intermediate stages looking to make that next leap. You'll find everything you're looking for on our guest platform, My Tennis HQ. And of course, by now, you know I'm referring to Carousel, who joins me on today's show for a fascinating conversation about, oh, so many things happening in the tennis world. Of course, I wanted to hear an update on what's going on at My Tennis HQ to see the growth of Carew's company over the past couple of years. I mean, we remember when they just launched My Tennis HQ and we're getting their first videos posted and to see how his content has developed over time, to see the response in the tennis community to his content speaks to his effort, his passion, the entire team at My Tennis HQ, the work they put in. So wanted to talk about that, wanted to pick his brain about some UCLA Bruins in the pros as well. But then we wanted to have a conversation that we allude to quite frequently on our Cracked Rackets podcast, and that's about the best ways to grow professional tennis moving forward. And of course, over the years, Crew and I have talked about a number of topics that relate to this conversation, whether it be increasing the pay at the lower level events, at the challenger level, the ITF level, why it's essential to provide a livable wage to the players competing at that level if you want to continue to create the depth, create the competitive atmosphere, the level of play we see emerge in professional tennis. We've had that conversation in the past. Today, we wanted to mix things up a little bit, whether than talk about the pay scale, whether than 
uh, talk about maybe some of the conflict of interest we see at the highest ranks of the professional tour. We wanted to talk about the ways the game can be more entertaining moving forward, the ways we think the changes you could make to professional tennis, or at least the conversations about some of the things we may want to try in professional tennis to help ensure the game is best suited to continue to grow, not only over the next five years, not only over the next 10 years, but over the next 50 years, over the next century. How can we ensure that tennis remains an essential part of the sports ecosystem if one can even consider it an essential part of the ecosystem now and quick tangent here but I think at a worldwide level tennis is far more respected than it is perhaps in the USA from a market perspective tennis a massive sport in you know six of the seven continents or five of the seven continents I don't know how big tennis is in Antarctica I think the penguins get down with the tennis but uh, certainly uh if we want to continue to grow the game in every market, it does feel like there are some solutions, some simple changes that perhaps the game could consider or even enact right away to help the game grow. And so, again, the exercise crew and I going to be commissioner for the day. If we were appointed, what are some of the changes we would immediately implement? Things get funky. I mean, of course, we talk about some of the structural things from scheduling of events to better ways to promote the broadcast, better way to show off the quality of athlete we have in our sport right now to, you know, more big picture discussions. Is the season too long? Should the format of the season be changed to best feature certain parts of the sport? What are maybe some funkier ideas? How can we better emphasize team tennis, something both crew and I believe in so thoroughly uh, and something we believe can help the sport grow at a global level. Again, some abstract concepts. Don't think all of you listeners are going to love all of them, but certainly I think you're going to appreciate this conversation, and I know I appreciate Crew for taking the time to have it with me. With that said, I know this was a long introduction. It's a complicated episode. It's a fun episode. I know you listeners will enjoy it. Of course, if you're looking for more content on what's happening this week in the tennis world, you all know Mini Break Podcast, the place to turn to. You can find it on our website, Crack Rackets, or wherever you listen to your shows. Of course, if you're looking for daily preview content, we've got you covered here with our ace of the day segments presented by DraftKings and a shout out to our friends at DraftKings as always for their support of this podcast and with that said let's get to it my conversation with the one and only returning champion Carousel. The NFL's opening week was action-packed, and fans, it's just getting started. Get ready for week two of touchdowns, big plays, and even bigger wins with the DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. This week, new customers can bet just $5 on any football game and get $200 in free bets instantly. Want even more action? Then get in on the experience, the thrill of the DraftKings early win promotion. It's simple. This Sunday, bet on any NFL team to win. If your team leads by 10 at any point during the game, you get paid instantly, even if your team ends up losing. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use that promo code AOD to get $200 in free bets instantly when you place a $5 bet on any football game. That's code AOD only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of 
of the NFL. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply if you or someone you know has a gambling problem. Crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER in Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, or Wyoming. 1-800-NEXT-STEP-IN-ARIZONA or 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado or New Hampshire. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 877-HOPE-NY in New York. OPGR.org in Oregon. Call text Tennessee Redline at 1-800-889-9789 or 1-888-532-3500 in Virginia. Joining us on the podcast once again today is a returning champion here on our Crack Racket shows. A man you may know best as a former standout player during his time at UCLA, a top 400 singles player in the ATP rankings of as well. Of course, now, much like all of us, he's made the pivot to being a YouTube sensation. Of course, co-founder of My Tennis HQ and friend of the program. Welcome back to the show, Carousel Karuma. My friend, it is good to see you. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. This this, this intros are just getting better and better. This, <laughs> I haven't been on the pod in a while. This guy's just automatic now with the intros. I love it. Yeah, yeah doing great, man. Just same old, just grinding a lot, making videos, coaching. You know, just uh, the, the same old grind, but the the good stuff, really. That's what I like to hear. I'll say this. The jawline looks good as ever, my friend. You're still clearly you. working it. And uh, yeah, I've had a year to work on those intros. So I'm glad to see the work <laughs> has paid off to have you back. But of course, it's great to have you here. And we have a really fun exercise plan that I want to get into. But I want to talk about my tennis HQ for a second, because I have been in the shoes that you are in, where you have this idea, one that you think is of helping to fill a gap in the tennis marketplace. And for you guys, that's providing quality instructional video to tennis players everywhere on YouTube because just about every you know beginning level tennis player is going to go to YouTube and say, how do I hit a forehand? How do I hit a backhand? Mm-hmm. And what started off as, dare I say, a pet project with you, Guy, and Austin has turned into an enterprise. I mean, I see the download numbers. I see the views. It's impressive, my friend. And so talk to me about the past year, year and a half at My Tennis HQ. Bring us up to speed because, Westoff, give us a round of applause. You guys are killing it. <laughs> yeah, we, uh, I mean, yes, it's just like you said, we, I think, grew much faster than we expected, especially the YouTube side of it. Um, it's obviously been really challenging I, th- I think you, you get to a point where you have to say no a lot and you have to to really narrow your focus being just me and Guy um, nowadays and, and we have a couple of people that help us but really mainly him and it's still the same thing where you know I you know write shoot edit every video and Guy's doing a lot of the background stuff and and, and it's been a really challenging but rewarding thing I'm hoping by next year I can be doing a more of a full-time thing than, than, and I have to worry a little bit less about, you know, lessons and, and then really put all my focus. That's my goal. Put it, all my focus into, into that because then I think the content can really become just next level. And I, and that's, that's my main thing. I, I, I think our, I figured it out somehow. I think that that <laughs> YouTube game, uh, I, I, I like the game. I like you know, coming up with, with new ideas and new ways of shooting and, 
and and obviously play you have to play the algorithm game which is always like a little bit a little bit annoying but um i i think you know we're getting for tennis a good amount of views per videos and and um he's you know just from you know the comments that we get and the people signing up for you know our email lists and our you know we have like now a, a subscription plan for more like you know we do live calls in there and uh, we do a couple other things. There's like courses in there, things like that, more premium stuff. And we, you know, it's just, it's just a lot of things going on, but it seems like we're helping a lot of people. And I think that's, that's a really important part of it. And two, you know, like I said, like you even, you know, posted on that, that tweet that I, I posted, I, I just, you know, I, I try to make it somewhat cool, you know, like I, I, I'm teaching lessons and I, I, I've said this from the beginning. I don't think I can ever replace any coach like just with my videos, but I can add to it. And hopefully I can add to how people see the game. And then it makes it maybe a little less complicated and more enjoyable to get better because it is difficult to get better in tennis. And that's just been the goal. And I think as I just made that the goal and I go by that to make the videos, I think it, it just, just works. So, uh, but it's been been crazy. We just broke eighty thousand subscribers. So think about it. I don't. I don't know. Last time I was in the pod, I, I don't think we were at ten thousand at the time. That's what I'm saying. It's like you know an eight hundred percent increase. Do they send you a plaque at fifty thousand? Because I feel like eighty thousand is hundred. Oh, it's a hundred. That's the number. All right, we're gonna get you that extra nineteen point six k, and then you know again, just send me a photo of the plaque, and I'll frame the photo I of hope. the plaque here at Crack Rackets HQ. Um, was there a video? Was there a certain thing that sort of catapulted? Because to your point, and you talk about playing the SEO game, and this is a stupid thing between two nerds here, tennis strategy <laughs> simplified, attack in all capital letters and defend. Let me just yeah. say, it's an excellent title. Like, I want to click on it. I'm like, this looks fantastic. Let me learn a little yeah. bit more about this. But what, in your opinion, because there are a lot of people out here in the tennis community who maybe they have a kid or maybe they're someone's uncle or maybe someone has a friend who says, hey, my kid wants to get into the game. I know you play tennis. What are some of the little things you may have picked up along the way that are some introductory you know, things to help people move along? Um, I think, you know, if you look at my content is typically catered more at the player who already, you know, already has a stroke, already kind of knows how to play, but might feel a little like stuck. Maybe they don't have too much, you know, money to spend in lessons. They're just playing a lot of sets with friends and you know how it is like tennis can be just not really fully training all the time, unless you're really like, you know, fully training like a junior or, or a pro. Um, so it, what I try to do, it's at least it's, if you watch my videos, I want you to, to, it's like, hopefully your tennis IQ is increasing as you watch my videos. You're, you're like, Oh, this is a way of seeing this. This is a way of seeing that it might not be for everybody. I'm not by no means think like what I say is going to apply to everybody. But as I, I, I kind of always give the, the, the comparison, cause I am in that situation as a golfer where I look at golf, you know, I like to improve at golf and I'm going to go on YouTube and a lot of the stuff I'm going to see is like, just doesn't really apply to me. But every once in a while, I watch one that I'm like, wow, that was it. <laughs> that was the swing thought. That was the thing I needed to think. And recently I, I, I had that in golf and I hope I do that um, in tennis. Now, 
obviously as a beginner, uh, if you're really just picking up consistency, playing a good, like really playing a good amount, um, not consistency, making a lot of balls, but consistency in going out and playing. And it, it, the first year or two, it's probably going to be really challenging. That's, I think a lot of people go to pickleball because learning curve is very, very sure. small. Um, so in tennis is longer, but that's kind of the fun part of it, right? Like you're always going to improve. You're always going to be able to learn a little trick. So yeah, you know, obviously proper, proper equipment in the beginning, all that stuff, making sure you're doing that, but you got to see a coach. I, I, again, I avoid doing very, very beginner stuff because I find that to be, you need to be in person, I believe. And the one thing you can do is train your footwork. If you can find ways to train your footwork, become a little lighter on your feet, that sh that should be much, you know, improve, make you improve a lot easier. No, absolutely. Was there a video that you think set things off? Like, did, was there a day where you like, hey, we had twelve thousand subscribers this morning, and now we're at thirty six? Uh, no, it, it's been a consistent growth, but. Okay. There has been a couple of videos, I mean, that I didn't really, I mean, I did the ones that where I had played with the GoPro in my mouth that it gave that that perspective that was kind of fun. Um, obviously, when I was hitting with Naomi, those videos, you know, you know, people love watching, you know, pros hit down the middle. <laughs> it's like, they like that more. They like that more than watching like, you know, a proper like challenger match. I think yeah. they would just rather watch like people just hitting down the middle and smacking. <laughs> so that kind of stuff worked out. And I think I slowly just sort of picked up on you know, we, we really try to do a really good job with like the titles and the thumbs and whatnot, because a lot of the times that, that makes it a rigs it or video. Um, and at the end of the day, uh, there are some videos that I honestly don't think are going to do that well. And there's one recently that started okay. And all of a sudden he just like got it rolling. And now it's at like a 400,000 subs, uh, <laughs> 400,000 views, uh, about like just, you know, making clean contacts with the forehand that I wasn't really expecting. So it's also very, you just kind of don't know. You, you think you might have like a great video and, and sometimes it doesn't work. And sometimes it's a video that is like, ah, eh, I don't know any works. So it, it is a bit tricky. I'm still trying to figure it out, but for me, I'd rather have this consistent growth and making sure that we're getting, you know, whatever the amount of the views isn't necessarily what I'm looking as much, but just really the engagement or people uh, enjoying the video. So that's that's really it. I see a video where you play a set versus a USTA 4.5. Now, I like to pride myself and think I'm a little more 5.0 than 4.5. You're in L.A. now, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I'll be in L.A. last week of September, first week of October. I'm just throwing it out there. If that video gets 136,000 views, Carousel versus Alex Gruskin, like that's... It's going to be a million. Yeah, I was going to say, that's the bar to set. That's what we clearly would have to clear. So if you're ready to... Let's play. Yeah, I mean... I don't, I don't know, know if you watched those. Did you watch those? Because I played them with like a rule. Really? No. What was the rule? So one. So the first one I played against Winston. He has a channel too. Yeah. Um, no, I, I, I know he, Winston's like a star. Yeah, he's a star. Yeah, <laughs> it's crazy. Um, crazy. Um, so I played Winston, uh, and he didn't know, but I I made the a point, or I couldn't hit winners. He didn't know, so I was just hitting. I was moving him around. I was hitting the ball hard, but I wasn't going for any winners. So like the point was to show like look, you, you can play into big targets and, and still be effective. You don't have to pull the trigger to the line all the time. Plus, if you're playing like a, a you know someone who is 
below your level obviously that level just yeah it was way too too different but um that that kind of like i thought it was like a good idea just to kind of show like look i'm playing to big targets i'm not taking any unnecessary risks my ball is deep and that's what's ultimately is going to win the match and then the next one i did i did with uh i got one of the guys from essential tennis uh was the opposite i had two balls to either put it away or be at the net so that was like a little bit more interesting yeah yeah that was a a little bit more intense because you have to be on it um but yeah i just uh, both of them were pretty fun to do I, if you can think of a third rule that you're interested in, or like have to serve in volley or second serve returns, yeah. you have to come in behind. Yeah, or you I, up love 30 every every game. No, we can't that. do that one because if I lose, I'll be devastated. Like, so we may have to steer <laughs> away from that one. Um, but okay. no, we'll, I, we'll I'm, come yeah, up with a rule. I didn't say we'll figure something out. I love to hear that. Last question before we get to our exercise, because as you listeners can tell, it's been a while and I like catching up with you, Carew. If I'd have gone back to 2017 Carew, or 2018 Carew. Well, 18, I guess it was when his run sort of started to begin, and told you Max Cressy would be a top 50 player in the world. You knew the question was coming, my friend. What would your response have been? I, I would not have, I would not have believed anybody. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, obviously he started winning challenge. Like one, at one point he, like, he just won a challenger. And I was like, well, I mean, is that winning a challenger is not really a fluke, you know what I mean? And um, I, I think it was an impressive, you know, when he won that first challenger, I think he was still like being pretty wild on court and people were just having like problems with him. And, and I was like, this, this guy's putting like a target on his back, but he, he's been able to really control his mind, which is mo- first and foremost, the, the, the most important thing that he could have done. He was always a little bit, a little bit wild, a little bit all over the place. And um, now he just like, he's very calm and collective. If you watch him play, it's like, wow, he's like, he's not, you know, cheering too much. It's just always like, I mean, it's impressive. I'm, he is again, still, I'm still, I'm sorry, but terrible from the backcourt. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, like you, you're watching hit ground. He's a back and he's good, but you're watching him hit ground is you just never know what's happening, but he, he's just a phenomenal athlete and he, he can get to the net so it's not that he serves in volleys like he's just he gets to the net so fast that it's like you you're just it, it's so difficult to play and no one plays like that so props to him i think i think he's going to have like a long career doing that i think probably on the slower condition courts he's always going to struggle and whenever things get fast he's going to do well and he's going to make a ton of money and you know probably you know you know, he's already won an ATP, so all of the Bruins out there, he's the one with the ATP. So, uh, yeah, I, you know, I would not have bad money on it, but props to him. I would have given you a million to one odds. If you would have said Cressy, Garone, Mackey, who has the highest career high as of September 16th, 2022. And I've been like, well, a million to one. Sure, you can bet Cressy. That's fine. I'll take yeah. your money. And it's like, exactly. well, that, that thankfully I didn't offer those odds. No, it has been remarkable. I asked someone, and this person can remain nameless, but a person in the tennis world, you can have Cressy serve for the rest of your life, but you have to have his forehand as well. And they paused. They were like, hey, you know, this person's not particularly great. They were like, ugh. 
Like, I don't know, man. They're like, I don't know if I could hit the forehand like that repeatedly at the same time. To your point, it's a testament to his game style that he's able to be in the top 50 and a testament to his mind as well. But if you want to hear more carousel analysis of the many players out on tour, go check out the My Tennis HQ YouTube page. You can find his breakdowns of players like Jensen Brooksby and see him playing and practicing with top 100 players as well. Watch all of the My Tennis HQ content and obviously your guys' passion for the sport. It's what drew us to you initially all those years ago and you know it is awesome to see you guys rocking and rolling. And with that in mind, 15 minutes in, let's rock and roll into today's topic. <laughs> so we talk very frequently about the big picture look at professional tennis, not necessarily the players within it, who's going to be ranked number one in five years. Yeah, we spend plenty of time talking about that as well, but talking about the things we can do to grow the sport moving forward. And so frequently you'll hear guests on this show, myself included, kind of throw in comments like, well, you know, that's just a structural issue in professional tennis or things are never going to change or the sport sucks and this is 10 things they do wrong. You know, very infrequently do we have the opportunity to offer ideas, concrete suggestions, things we would do to change the sport, to try and make it more forward thinking, to try and best prepare it for the next not only decade, but the next century, hopefully, and grow the sport at the grassroots level around the globe. Well, you know, Crew obviously has plenty of thoughts for those of you who follow him, whether it be on Twitter, whether it be on my tennis HQ, plenty of thoughts about how to grow the game. And with that in mind, with the slams in the rearview mirror, now felt like the perfect time to discuss those things and talk about some of the things tennis can do from a structural standpoint to improve the sport moving forward. I asked Carew to come up with a list of five things. I came up with a list of five things as well. I came up with a list of like 35 things, but we'll try. Yeah, you can have so many. Exactly, but we'll try and narrow them down here and go with our top five. Before that, I do want to ask you a tennis-centric question looking towards the future. Mm -hmm. Do we finally have stars in our game? Are people ready to – it feels like the sporting world is ready to rally around Carlos Alcaraz the way so many have rallied around Federer, around Djokovic, around Nadal, around Serena. I don't know if people are as ready to circle around Iga the way they are Alcaraz, but I mean from an actual results on court standpoint, we clearly have a tennis superstar in Iga Sviantek, eighth youngest player to three Grand Slam singles titles, speaks for itself. You've got players like Goff and Sinner and Raducanu, Fernandez, all of these young faces. You know, we last probably had this conversation two years ago, but from a tennis perspective, I feel like this year was a massive victory for the next 10 years. And I'm curious if you share that feeling. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't really have that feeling pretty much until before Carlos. Um, I think, I think, you know, we were getting pushed down our throats with the next gen and Zverev and Titi Paz and, and Medvedev. And they've obviously done well, but uh, there's something about even eager, uh, but with Carlos specifically, that is, it feels very pure. It feels yes. very, he, he, he plays with like this joy of like, almost like a kid, which I always enjoyed. Like, like he likes the show. It's, I was thinking about this like a couple of days ago about like how the athletes that really like connect with, with the fans are the, the athletes that 
go out to they win but they also like to put on a show they understand the entertainment part of it and they you know they go for the shots they're having a good time and you know like the Steph Curry's the, the Michael Jordan back in the days like that I think Federer was always like that I think Rafa was, wasn't as much like that but Rafa there there's always a, a, an essence of like arrogance in there that they like they come up with like the amazing shots it's like look I'm just better than you kind of thing <laughs> yeah and and people people enjoy that but it has to be pure it can be like you know, and I think Carlos just like it's it's very pure the way he plays tennis. You can tell he truly enjoys it. He has a great time doing it. He's all about it, all about tennis, and and um, I think that that really is already connecting with people. And and I think it's organic what's happening. And obviously, Sinner, it's going to be the more like I think quiet guy, but like that people are just going to be like in wow with the tennis. And I mean their match. I was laughing out loud. I was watching their match. I was literally like every point I was like, what is happening? Cause I couldn't believe it. Um, so I think we're in a good spot. I, I was a little bit concerned for, I think our last couple of years, but I think now we're in a good spot. Niga, I mean, I think she's so like sweet and, 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 and honest and pure that I, it's also, she's going to be big. I think on the girl side, there's a lot, a lot of upside too. So yeah, I think, I think start talent wise, I think we're in a really good spot now. You made a really good point, and it's about the purity, how real it feels. With There's an innocence to Iga and Carlos where it's just like they don't know other than to give a 1,000% effort on every point. And I know that's a cliche, but Carlos Alcaraz has never quit on a ball in his life. Like Iga no. Shianta, yeah, he, like it's, it's laughable. Like sometimes yeah. it's like, dude, just let that ball go. Like it's love, <laughs> like it's 40 law of the guy, you know what I mean? Just like. You don't need to slide and like kill yourself out <laughs> yeah, there. Like, exactly. Let that ball. But <laughs> they just he can't help it. So it, it, you just feel it, and you feel it. Like he plays with such like he's going for his shots. It's like such balls, really. He's just going at it, and 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 I mean it. It just speaks to to to, to the crowd. They like to see you know the effort. They like to see the crazy shots. I mean, how many? I mean, I, I've I've said it, but how many people have won crazy points like that? recently I, th- I mean it's like every match you watch him he has a crazy point it's like it's feather like mm-hmm. you know feather every match he's ever played there's like some flick that everyone just like goes crazy he's he does that and uh, if he's he's gonna continue to do that we're gonna we're chilling we're gonna have a great 10 years or however many years watching because this guy Absolutely. And you mentioned it as well in a way. And I know the next gen campaign was literally built to highlight the game's future stars. But the big thing about Carlos, Sinner, you know, Iga, Coco, yeah, they're all young. And as such, there's hype that comes with that. But they have earned all of the hype that they've received. It's like, just go look at the results. Iga's a, you know, a three-time slam champion. Carlos is a world number one. she won one. three already? Yeah, she's won three already. There's a so Which one? She, wait, two, she won two, two French in the U.S. Yeah, and she oh, won she the won 2020. Two French. She won the October French. Yeah, oh, my exactly. God. She's three already. And she's the eighth Damn. youngest. Eighth youngest to three. It's like, and the list is like, wow. Hingis, Celis, Serena, Venus, Enin, Navratar, Graf, and then like Iga. It's just like, wow. yeah, that's, it's a pretty good list to be on. Um, and that's so unreal. that you're absolutely right. It just feels like we have the young stars and not because we're trying to hype them up, but because their results dictate no. that just now exactly. they are stars. And with that said, how can the tour best position these stars, best market these stars to help grow the game moving forward? With that in mind, Carousel. 
we've learned here over the years. Guests first. Chivalry not dead okay. here at Crack Racket. So let's start at the top of your list. Number one All on right. your list of things you would like to change about professional tennis. And again, the exercise, we're named commissioner for the day. They say, Carew, <laughs> pro tennis is yours. Here's what, you know, All what right. are our initiatives? Number one. Number one, um, I would put a lot – a lot of thought into broadcasting. So starts with new camera angles, like courts should be built thinking about where we're going to place the court, the, the cameras, right? Like there, there's that, usually there's that big box in the back of like one of those sides that shouldn't be any sitting. It should be a very high, well-trained cameraman that, you know, is able to be there and following a little bit of the, the players at that court level, it's above. It's you know, it's a, kind of above the head of the player. Um, I think we do a disservice to tennis the way it's broadcasted from the top. You, everything looks quick, very fast, but you don't want, you don't understand the spins. You don't really get the feeling for how much they're they're running. Um, you know, and I think outside of tennis, people just don't think tennis is that athletic of a sport. It, it's a very, it does a disservice to the game. And I think if we can really like put if I can, with like one tripod on my YouTube channel, come up with like good angles for people to see what I'm doing, I, I'm sure the the multi-billion dollar ATP could and WTA could figure that out. It doesn't have to be just on the, I mean, I don't, you could probably do it on the smaller courts as well, but like anything that is going to be broadcasted should be broadcasted at a lower angle. That is just, it, it's mind boggling to me that it's not. So that's fascinating to me. And we're already taking this in a direction that I'm enjoying. Um, you, you talk about the athletic part. Ohio State men's tennis coach Ty Tucker, a noted personality in tennis circles, once said the most astute observation to me on the show, and it stuck with me, and I think it was one of our like first 10 podcasts we ever did. He said, Alex, I've got Mikhail Torpegard here, who's 6'4", 185, there's not an ounce of fat on his body, and we have him playing in clothing two sizes too big. He's like, there needs to be sex appeal. He's like, we need to show off these athletes. We need to show, you know, again, I love the close-ups of Yannick Sinner because you're like, this guy is skin and bones. How is he doing what Mm -hmm. he's doing? At the same time, go see Yannick Sinner in person. He's actually not like he is like you just you can't be. And all of these tennis players, you spend enough time at pro events. I always say nothing makes you remember that you're not a good athlete than when you're at these events and you see all these pro tennis players legs and you're just like, oh, okay, like that's the difference between me and them. And you're right. Mm -hmm. To some extent, you just don't notice that on the TV broadcast, like Roger Federer looks skinny. I'm telling you, you see him in person. You're like, you had calf calf implants. Like those can't be real. Mm -hmm. And you're like, oh my, or like, again, it's the quads. I know this might be getting weird for some of our listeners, but I'm not like staring at quads the whole time, but someone walks in. Yeah. You're just like, you are an athlete. And you're absolutely right. I, I, when it comes to the broadcast, for some reason, the angles just don't do that justice. And no, it takes the, the ridiculous efforts of like Tiafo and Alcaraz to like fly, throw their bodies around the court to be like, okay, those two are athletes, but like, yeah. what about everyone else? And so to follow up more than anything, 
and I suppose part of it is a depth perception thing, and I'm doing hand motions on the camera. Some of you podcast listeners won't see it. The difficulty is the width, right? Is you want to be able to capture mm-hmm. the width of the court. Similarly, you want to be able to get both sides. And the mm-hmm. lower you go, the mm-hmm. tougher it is to see the other side of the action. That point To that point, though, the court-level camera, you finally see the athleticism. You mm-hmm. finally see the side, you know, how hard they're hitting the well, ball. Well, you hit, you hit, you hit the spins. You see when the ball is like really sent up. You see, like you're, you're really able to see like, oh, how did that ball just got angled so hard? Because I'd say when you're seeing from up top, you, you don't see how that ball like quickly dipped, went up and down and dipped and, and broke the sideline before it broke the, the, the baseline. Um, with like the amount of like action that they put on the ball. And then you're going to see the, you're going to see how crazy like a feather slice coming into, especially even if he was hitting from the other side, I get it. It might feel a little weird with the other person being far, uh, what looks like it's far away, but their shots coming into the camera, it's actually kind of cool. So a, a knifing slice from fed from the other side, it's going to, it looks really amazing, you know? So the, the the idea that we are not able to see really what the players are doing with the ball, how are they manipulating the ball over and over and over with serves, with like how the, you know, a, the, those slice serves are just sh- shooting through the court out, out wide. And you're like, whoa, like that's the, that's, that's the stuff that people don't see. They just see it's, it's sort of like ping pong, mm-hmm. pa, 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 and miss. And, and it's just not as exciting and it makes no sense to me that there's just not has been hasn't been fixed really would you be open because again the concern is you're not going to be able to have the depth perception to see the far side of the court i mean this is and my thing would be take a swing try it and if it's horrible don't do it again what if you did two cameras so one on one side one on the other and you're seeing from both players perspective the both times on screen. And again, I know we're getting radical here, but like left side of your screen is the baseline camera most. Sometimes. Yeah. Like why think, not try I think all, it? All of it. The, yeah. the, the way to do it so it doesn't feel like the other person is too far uh-huh. is to have a longer lens camera placed further out. Okay. So instead of being right on court with a very wide angle lens, that doesn't work. That's going to feel warped and weird. You have to have actually a... a let's say like a 35 or 50 millimeter camera or lens that is longer, but then the camera has to be a bit further out. Okay. Um, and then you're actually going to get, you're not going to get so much of the, the, the wide side, the, 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 the bleachers and stuff. You're just going to get really the court. And then that's why I said, like, you're kind of probably going to need someone like just, you know, moving the camera a little bit with it, but that's the way to do it. If you just place a camera on court, it's not going to work. It has to be, People need to like actually like go and 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 check out different different places, different lenses, and be like, oh, this works. I saw one from Beijing. I was actually watching obviously Roger highlights, and there was like a, a camera from Beijing that was um, really good. They, they they you can see the people kind of sitting in front. There's like a few rows, and it was a perfect camera. It was like a perfect camera. I was like, this is the one. This is the camera angle. But they, they you just use it for highlights. They don't use it on the broadcast. So. Mm-hmm. No, so that's number one for me. No, I, I I think that's something that's often underfound is how do we make the product look as good as it is? Because, again, you go in person and if, to the untrained eye in particular, like, yeah, you'll see the nuances, particularly when you watch as much tennis as I do, when you play it as high as a level as you do. Sure, you'll see some differences, but 
always the first three hours of being at a pro event, you're like, how does anyone win a match? Because all of you yeah. are so good. All of you are hitting yeah. the ball so purely. And it's just, you're right, a camera angle, one of those little things uh, can help change that. For me, and by the way, pay structure, you know, better pay for players who are lower ranked, better broadcasting of lower ranked matches. I think that's a, a completely other topic as well. And that would probably oh, be, a- yeah, that would be number one on my priority list. Karu and yeah. I go check the film 2019, 2020. We must have talked about that a million times <laughs> yeah. at length. So let's be clear. I know that's your number one and listeners should know that as well. On this broadcasting note, and this is a little thing, but why this is so high on my list is that to me, this is the single easiest thing perhaps for pro tennis to correct. And it's why when there are six events on a tennis calendar, why in the name of God, do we not coordinate amongst tournaments and say, Hey, I'm going to start my singles final at 10. Will you start your singles final at 12 and then they can start their singles (laughs) final at two? And yeah, there might be a little overlap and we don't want to give away the entire prime time. We can't have people starting 6 p.m. on a Sunday. No one's going to go to that match unless it's a U.S. Open final. And even then, it's like maybe. Um, I get that everyone wants the most marketable time. But if the goal is to grow the sport, you need your sport to be seen. And if I was the commissioner of tennis... I would want all of my tournament finals to be seen because that is the highlight of every week, ostensibly. Why the f*** we don't make that coordination? Again, it's just like, it's so easy. It feels like, especially in the day of Excel sheets or the day of, you know, again, Zoom calls where we can just say, hey, this is the WTA media chief. I need the three tournament directors for 10 minutes at the start of the week to say, all right, you're the 10 o'clock final. You're the noon final. You're the two final. We're just doing that. That's how it's going to be. We shoot ourselves in the foot with things like that. And I think scheduling, not of the weekdays, because when you have to play eight matches or 10 matches in a day as a tournament director, do your thing. Cook. You know, get your matches on court because that's most important. But weekend scheduling crew is atrocious, at least from my perspective. I'm curious if you feel that way. Yeah, I mean, I feel it. For me, it's not even much. I, I, I don't think much that way. I just think for me, it's, it's just so hard to watch tennis in general, especially in the U.S. You need, you know, pretty much Tennis Channel Plus to watch sure. any event. Um, nothing is really broadcasted in, in just cable or even if they were doing something on YouTube where people were maybe paying, you know, four bucks to watch the, the day of matches or five, but whatever it is, like, I think there's got to be some easier way to get people to watch. I just find it to be incredibly difficult, especially in the U.S. Maybe in Europe is, I know UK, Amazon has the ride. So I think you can, you can watch it on through Amazon. And, um, but it, it is just difficult to watch. And, and yeah, the weekend, scheduling with everything overlapping and you have you know wta finals here and and atp finals here and this and that i mean it just doesn't seem like people are putting in too much thought in it which is you know a problem yeah you're right it's also really tough to say and you know again i know this is difficult because you're right by country there are different rights holders and as such tennis channel gets it in the u.s amazon gets it in the uk maybe Eurosport gets it in all eu countries whatever it may be I, rights are always a tricky thing, and that's the moneymaker. You know, if you want a pro tennis, they, people need to be paying for the rights, and tennis fans need to understand yeah. that, pay for those rights, etc. 
for matches that you don't have to pay for broadcasting, like challengers and you know futures events, where there are live streams for just about all mm-hmm. of them, would it be that hard to have the social media coordinator at each of these organizations say, this final's about to start? We're tweeting out a link. This final's about yeah. to start. We're tweeting out a link because half That's of true. the people never, don't. Yeah, I never know. Yeah, no, exactly. I couldn't tell like you. A calendar final? I have no idea. I couldn't tell you what time any of the carry action is this week. That's not true. Carry does a little bit better because their social media coordinator puts out the order of play each morning. But like, you know, if I ask you who's playing in Poland this week, do you know the answer? Yeah, exactly. No, yeah, no exactly. Or if it's like, <laughs> "Hey, Dominic Team is still alive in France, as is Ugo Umbert." Like, it, the did, U.S. You... Open just ended. I made the, <laughs> this my point number two. The the season is over right now, so that's my point number two. So get let's to get to it. No, I love it because that's my point on the broadcasting as well. I have more broadcasting thoughts we can get to a bit, but point number two is the season too long. Yeah. So I have, you know, if I was, you know, again, commissioner, I'd be like, look. Realistically, after the US Open, no one really cares. It, I, I know we, we want to say that we do, and it's a good time for a lot of the players to, to um, you know, get get points, especially guys you know in the seventies, eighties, sixties. But I just think you can see it that players don't really care as much after the Open. Like they're playing, obviously they're playing Davis Cup now, which is cool, um, but. After that, you know, they're playing some ATPs and whatever, and there's like the the the, the Asia swing, and it, it just just seems like a little bit forced. And the season is too long, where players are just burned out like year round. They have to find like little gaps here and there to take take vacations. And I think the way I would try to structure it's like, look, we'll we'll go hardcore to the U.S. Open. You know, maybe more of these 250 events and 500 events. Uh, will overlap maybe that could be an interesting way to get more players like you know maybe below top 100 to get into those 250s right if you have more more tournaments in the week so i'd say oh, there's like two three 250s maybe more players in the top 250 are able to get into those qualities and main draw uh, and play more atp events um again this is all ideas but i think after the us open then what would what we could do then it's really open up the space and maybe the ATP could, could be the sponsor of it or the ATP could be the driver of it uh, to create maybe world, worldwide leagues for like maybe team tennis. So let's say, you know, America has world team tennis, right? And it's always in a tricky time of the year. Not many people truly care. It hasn't really like worked out. I'm sorry, you know, the, the, the owner of world team tennis listens to, but I like what he's trying to do, but it's not really working out. But if, the, there's a lot of FOMO, right? After this open, people are trying to get employed. Like you want to take the time off, but if there's all this term, it's like, oh, I'm having FOMO. I have to go play because, you know, otherwise I, I need to get the points. But if there's no tournaments, there's no FOMO. And obviously players are still going to want to compete. So you can have like a bunch of leagues. I say Asia has its own league and, you know, they're going to pay whoever they're going to pay. They're going to bring in, you know, the, the top 30, 40, 50, top 10 guy. And you're going to have this multiple, let's say, uh, it could be individual. It could be teams. It could be like people can get creative with it, right? South America could have its own thing, um, but nothing after the US Open um, that really al- allows people to earn points from futures to to, to challengers too, because that you can't have anyone earning points in that time. So you're you're gonna have to just then UTR could could be doing something. You know what I mean? You could have this 
endless possibilities for people to players to continue to earn, to continue to stay sharp, but also not feel like, oh, I just need to keep playing because everyone's playing and everyone is like getting points. And and I, I find it you, you you see with the top guys when they have their their little injuries and they have some time off and they're they were able to train more, how actually sharp they come back and they're playing at some high level. You know, it takes maybe a, a couple tournaments. Um, but they, they, you, you see the difference when they're actually able to, to do some proper training and, and it's very hard to like do some proper training, uh, during, during the year, because you're just kind of like managing, resting, all that stuff. And I, I think the product would be better. I think people will be playing higher level tennis, even if it would be a shorter season, January through September, which is a pretty long season in my opinion. And after that, you've got three months of experimental tennis. You can do all sorts of things, which is kind of goes into my my point number three in a second but that's that's really i think i think it, it, it would be exciting and you could have you know a full u.s league which with like you know 30 teams or whatever you never know but no i i love team tennis as you know and Same. i i mean did you know that in world team tennis there's a draft every year did you know about that yeah yeah, yeah, no. So, like, can you imagine drafts and you know the conversations that would happen if, if that? Do you know there, there's there would free be a lot agency? There's free agency in world team tennis. You Bro, can trade I, I a have, first round draft pick for a doubles player on another team. I have an idea. Later, it's like more like I, my first three. I think are pretty doable. My last two, one of them, it's like pretty crazy, but I think it makes sense. We'll get to it. That's that you see, like, th- that we'll talk about drafts and all that stuff. It would be kind of interesting. No, but yeah, I think that that would be, you know, fun. And to your point, the reason why team tennis hasn't taken off is there's just no place in the calendar to do it. You try to do it after the grass court season. Well, now it's the start of August and very quickly you've got Los Cabos. You've got the John Isner open in Atlanta. You've got Cincinnati. You've got Toronto. You're rocking and rolling, you know, Canada, not, not just Toronto, but Montreal as well. It's like, there's just no space, especially if you want to draw the best players who have just gone through this Wimbledon French Open grind. Like, with all due respect, they're not going to spend the two weeks there. Why World Team Tennis worked so well in 2020 is because there was nothing else going on. So everyone's like, yeah, yeah I'll come play for three consecutive weeks. It. This is the only gig in town. And that's why tennis fans were drawn to it because it's like, hey, this is the only tennis we're getting to enjoy. And, oh, by the way, this is pretty darn fun. Here's the question is how much revenue are you losing if you cut off those last two months? Is there space? Are all those tournaments willing to move into the previous nine months of action and compete with these big events at the same time if there's still going to be mandatory requirements for the thousands and the slams for these top players, et cetera, et cetera? Will they even play those other events if you know there's not that back half of the three months? At the same time, I, I – I've thought for for years, how would you make this work? And could you, in lieu of stopping the season in September, because you talk about going from January to September, is there mm. any way to bring up the French Open a couple of weeks on the schedule and you play that French Open at the end of April or at the really early mm-hmm. start of May and then you take your eight-week break? And then you know Wimbledon still starts July 1st and you have all of July – 
August, September, October schedule remains. But it's those, you know, it's those middle six weeks where that's where you say, okay, we're pausing the tour the way F1 pauses for a couple of mm-hmm. weeks. Or, you know, I know there are all-star breaks. This would be an extended version of an all-star break for uh, the prof- for professional tennis. But is there any way to be like, all right, French Open is the halfway mark. And then we're going to have some fun for a couple of weeks. And if you're injured, mm-hmm. you need to go train, whatever, go do your thing. But we're going to do a two-week block of team tennis. We're going to throw in a Davis Cup. We're going to do all of the shit we don't have time to do in the current schedule. I guess my question to you as a former player, does that make more sense in the middle or at the end? Like if you had a training block in the middle, would you be like, I'm not playing anything else. I'm going to go enjoy myself for a couple of weeks or versus the end. Would you be like, you know what? I'm shutting things down. Like, because that's uh, because I very much agree with you. Big picture. But my question is, is that block better in the middle and make it the all star break or, uh, you know, whatever, ostensibly? Or is it better at the end? (sighs) This is good. (laughs) This is why we're back. See, it's good to have you back. I think uh, I personally probably would still rather go in the end just because, like, I think players are pretty used to that January through U.S. Open kind of schedule. And there's, like, there's a little bit of, like, you know, in between there, Indian Wales, Miami, and then there's a little bit of a gap if you don't want to just start right at Monte Carlo or, like, the other ones before. Um, Yes, I think, obviously, the revenue loss, it's a little tricky. But, again, I think a lot of those tournaments lose money anyways, like yeah. the 250s and the 500. So what are you That's like, true. what are you thinking? Like, Oh, what, what, you're not losing the masters. You're not losing the slams. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe the scarcity of tournaments would make the tournaments better. Right. Make, maybe makes them, makes them, you know, make more money. Um, I personally, I think still the end will probably be better. Can I give I, you I one more know, pitch for the middle? April well, French, looks like in france looks like because it could be weather wise yeah or yeah. or rainy and in, in which yeah case, or rainy you, so that, that i think trouble. that you got to factor all that into especially in europe um i think like france in april i don't think it's like would be ideal to play on clay i mean it, it might be super slow yeah and the, rainy and gross the um the other pitch for the middle of the year and it's a very american-centric standpoint but What's going on in the sporting world in May, in June, July? The answer is nothing. Like, yeah, you have baseball. That's cute. But, like, there's no football or, like, basketball is wrapping up, um, you know, Mm -hmm. soccer or football, as some will say it, is is wrapped up then as well. It's like the middle months are open. That's why I've always viewed it as, like, like, exactly. If you're going to mess around and do something to get people's attention, like, what is this team tennis? Who are the Detroit? aces i've never heard of them before like and i got nothing else to follow right now so let's watch this that's why the summer months and again it's a very american perspective but that's why those months would appeal to me versus like september Mm -hmm. through december where you know respectfully americans are watching college football on saturdays nfl football on sundays and nba during the week exactly no that that's actually a great great point where we could fill that 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 little gap there and and come up with like some some interesting tenants ideas yeah i like that so why and this bleeds into my third one as well and i knew there would be some overlap would team tennis sell if proper be like do you think team tennis hasn't sold because people are just like i don't really care about this or is it because it doesn't really matter like is that like is that the whole reason it hasn't sold is because it it hasn't felt as if it's mattered or because team tennis isn't a good product it, it does feel like 
most of the team tennis events are a little bit of just like the top guys making even more money, right? Yeah. Like Labor sure. Cup has worked out really well because obviously it has the stars and mm-hmm. and that you you're gonna need the stars somehow. Yeah. Um, so that that's that's point number one. Uh, then you would have to have like some sort of incentive. Obviously, not you're not gonna have points, but like financial incentives, things like that 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 makes sense. And you have to do a really good job. So, for example, how France has their, you know, their club tennis and they're packed at the end of the year, right? People are watching. It's the best kept secret in the professional tennis world is the club tennis in Europe. Club tennis in Europe is it's it's huge because it's it's at a very it's they've done a great job at a like a micro level, like really going out. And, and getting engaging with the community, with the city and the clubs. And I think to the only way to, to, to get tennis a little bit bigger is to, to, to really focus a little bit more smaller picture that way. Well, because like, you know, a tournament like Ojai, which is like a big men's open here in America, um, it's packed of people watching because it's a community thing. People every year, they're like, wow, it's a tournament. Everyone's here and they see tennis. I, I literally watched two. I heard two old men, they were watching the final of the women and did that. It was two high school girls, good players, but like high school players. And she was like, they were like, are these girls like top hundred in the world? <laughs> like people, people don't know because like when you watch a live, it's impressive, whatever level it's, it's impressive. So that would be a very, you would need a very, very high incentive in a way to get people in there. Kind of like in college, when college tennis does it right, when it's packed, it's so fun. So you, you would have to really appeal to your community. Um, and, and how obviously in LA would be difficult. We have a billion different teams, but you know, what if we, we started with smaller, uh, teams or what if we somehow like, you know, it was like affiliated with some colleges, you know what I mean? It's like a UCLA professional tennis team, whatever, you know, it's like, it's just like a, a new thing. Again, we were just like we're no. I said idea, man. We're not, for the we're record, I said the those. five best college kids should get uh, team tennis contracts, world team tennis contracts yeah. every year. It's like if you finish top five, you're playing world that team tennis great. this year. Congratulations! And it's like I agree awesome. with you because that's connectivity. And you know, I like the idea of that UCLA feeder program. Or again, doing all these yeah. small events, building in the community. By the way, and true story, I've asked this to every coach trying to figure out the answer. Who gets the Ojai? The Pac-12 or USC and UCLA get to host the Big Ten tournament there now? Who gets possession of the Ojai with them leaving the conference? I have no idea. I, uh, the, who do the, you is think there an answer already? No, there is no. That's it's still up in the air. I've made a pitch to every Big Ten coach. Uh, obviously, you know where I went to school. That it's like, hey guys, forget bringing the Bru- Bruins and Trojans in. The Big Ten Championship needs to be at the Ojai every year, and you'll thank me afterwards. But, like, take it and take it now. Because you talk about that local event. Obviously, your UCLA Bruins had some success at the Ojai over the years. You know, what is it like playing in that local community event? Was that – you know, how how much better is the Ojai than, not to pick on you, the Decatur Futures? Oh, my God. It's it's night and day. You feel – I mean, it feels special. It feels like – I mean, people are like, like glued to the matches. They're they're coming in. Kids are there. I mean, it's a it's a community thing, and it's like, in a weird way, like it's 
we might be inspiring like some kids that are there mm-hmm. playing, right? Like, I mean, that's the entire point of this, right? If we're, if my whole problem with tennis has been recently, I don't think anyone really inspires kids anymore. I think we cater to older people and we, we should be way more focused on how to make tennis like a cool product for kids and for young adults, right? Like how golf has become gigantic with young adults and there's new clothing brands and new, like there's golf is just like this, this huge thing now amongst like, you know, people our age. Um, but tennis is, isn't. And I, I think w- w- when you go and watch like, Oh, um, you know, I, I played obviously many times with UCLA. I also played, I won the men's open there and it's just, you know you, you feel it it's small but you feel it and if you can bring that feeling maybe a little bit bigger maybe a little bit bigger maybe a little bit bigger i think um then we convert people into actually wanting to watch a lot more tennis yeah, no, i completely agree with you and as always this is the time if you have a college tennis team in your community trust me this spring go Still check watching. them out yeah you will not regret it Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. All right, let's move on on your list. Give me the next item. All right, number three would be since I believe a lot of these um, 250s and 500s don't really make any money, right? They're, I'm pretty sure they're losing money. Maybe the 500s are breaking even. I, I don't think they're really doing that well. I think um, we should have – we could try. It doesn't have to be anything crazy, not all of the tournaments, but experimental formats – 250s and 500s so like whatever so kind of like the next gen you know does the best of five but four games um i think you could have maybe 250s that are round robin um where you kind of i really like the 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 utr format now the 25k utr format where you you guarantee the three matches uh and then you can move in you move into different brackets so there's still incentive you're not going to tank because you can still you know if i play fifth I'm going to make way more money than if I place eight. So there's still incentive to not just tank if you lose one or two matches in the in the round robin. I think we could do that. I think I think, for example, Miami, instead of just being outside like that in the parking lot, they should just literally put all the courts inside the stadium and just shotgun start at six o'clock. And every everyone plays at the same time, like eight courts in a row. You can now put like talking. one session. Yeah, we can put one session, let's say one session right by the bleachers is only the Americans. So it's Tiafo, Fritz, whoever, whoever. Everyone is just sitting there going bananas. You can watch multiple matches at the same time. There's no sitting around. I know tennis players can be like, oh, like, oh, like, you know, so there's a person walking. I can't serve. I'm like, get out of ass. You know what I mean? You can play. You can play if there's someone walking. I get it. Maybe noise and stuff, but like. It is what it is. Make it so that we just don't have to sit there and clap. But I think Miami would be like every time I, I've been there twice and I'm just like, why is it that all the courts are not in here? And we're just like starting all the matches like after work, right? People can come after work at six o'clock, like all the matches start eight matches in a row. People can roam around, walk through the fields. Oh, I'm going to watch this match. I'm going to watch this bleachers here. 
Um, obviously, in that situation where you know you have that big of a, a dome, you could you could be in the bleachers watching really like every match. Um, but like you can probably also walk around grounds and watch match from up close. Like I think I think we you can experiment with like lots of things in those two fifties and five hundreds. Um, you know, maybe play, you know, one of them has no ad. Maybe yeah. why, why don't we play like one of them with no ad, no let see what happens. Or can I throw one more radical format like that at you? And mm-hmm. as a My Tennis HQ guy, you can correct me if I'm wrong. I think something people do mistakenly and they really shouldn't is far too early. If you're just beginning your tennis playing career, you play sets when you should be playing ground mm-hmm. stroke games. And mm-hmm. I think people who play tennis in their background, like myself, you know, if it's a binary scale of one and zero, I like to say, trust me, I did play tennis. You'd be like, okay, that guy knows what he's mm-hmm. doing. What if we did a ground stroke game event where, you know, so frequently we talk about players staying, oh, in, you know, serve. or it's just like you have to be there for two and a half hours, sometimes for four and a half hours for a really good match. What if we just play three out of five ground stroke games up to 21? And it's just like, let's see who's got it. Because I'll tell you what, a ground yeah. stroke game up to 21 gets fi- freaking physically tough. Oh, super physical. Yeah, no winners off the first ball. You know, we'll find a way to make it even. Um, but, like, I don't – I wouldn't hate playing around with those nope. sorts of things. And it's just – it's like persona non grata. It's like, don't even bring it up. Don't even try to do it. Now, the question is, how receptive would people be to it? And, you know, a complete reversal of it. And some of that comes back to this, which I get to flip on you as a former player. And I'm, I'm, I'll ask you to get in trouble on our behalf, I suppose. How much of this is just players need to get over some of the preconceived things? Like when fans get rowdy in between first and second serve and, you know, the chair umpire. Mm. Every time a chair umpire quiets the crowd, I cringe a little bit on the inside. I know. It's like, I'm like, yeah. the last thing anyone should ever do is quiet a crowd. Like, if they want to roar, let them roar. And I know in college tennis, you used to be able to chirp between serves. Obviously, now you're not allowed to or you'll get a warning and eventually people get docked. I know it's distracting, but, like, you can't – the thing that pisses me off most is the player who talks about how they wish fans would be more engaged and then the next time they're on court, it's like, okay, but can you quiet them down, please? Like, the two things yeah. just are in constant conflict. And some of me feels like it has to be player-driven. Yeah, I think I think it's, yes. I believe it should be, like, you know, just kind of get over it a little bit. Um, and, I, and I don't want us to sound like I want the entire, I, the format has to remain, especially Masters and in Grand Slams. Like, that's just, that's, you know, the, the really how tennis should be uh, but there, i don't think there's any reason why we couldn't try different things at different events you know what i mean i think uh you know i've you you train with noises you train with like not perfect conditions and stuff like that it's like it's gonna be okay you know what i mean to play if it's a little loud in there and 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 i don't i i i agree i think you know they should be okay experimenting and it doesn't have to be every tournament it doesn't have to be tennis has to change i for example i was watching doubles at the u.s open and i was so bored because don't get me wrong the guys were everyone is too good yeah. so like nothing happens it's serve put volley away serve put volley away serve miss return serve ace and it's just like nothing ever exciting happens for two hours or for an hour and a half i'm like why is it that this they just don't do like doubles like 
is like a 30 minute game shot clock and they just like play this long tiebreaker whoever wins more points wins the match and he never stops because like even the the oh i hit a great return but i still lose like 40 15 every game because it's just like boom 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 it was so boring we're just sitting there like boring because it's impressive like nothing is really happening so it's like even doubles could come like doubles my god let's make it like let's just use doubles to 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 create some more excitement so you know different different things that can be done and again i I really don't have i think my main thing is like can we put like a room of people that like want to do this and want to and are able to execute this together to change and it just doesn't seem that we have that and that's my main issue it just drives me crazy yeah no one wants to be the tournament to branch out and try it because then if it doesn't Mm -hmm. go well you're ostracized it's like you're out on your own because it's you're right it's not a uniform push um all right with that said i'm gonna forego my list we'll just focus on your four and five here ten because i don't want to take up too much more of your time so let's go number four on Carousel's right. list. And I believe number this is where things be, get funky. So number four might be the one, it might be the one that we like, number four and five are a little crazy, but number four, and hear me out. So again, we're all collectively very scared of change in tennis. Well, there's a lot of purists, there's a lot of people who are like, well, like, no, like the form is perfect, whatever. Like, look, fine, right? Team tennis hasn't really worked out as well. Um, so hear me out. Why don't we adopt the F1 style for tennis? So meaning we have in F1, right? There's the constructor uh, championship and the, the individual championship. So I neither one takes it away from the other one, right? Like you have the Red Bull team, you have the Mercedes team, you have whatever, and they pick their two drivers and we know how f1 works if you don't check it out in tennis you maintain the same schedule same structure whatnot but let's say comes in 10 teams so it could be team nike it could be team just like rich guy that wants to have a team team whatever and in the beginning of the year you're you're gonna have to pick a guy who's top 10 a guy or two guys who are top 10 a couple guys are top 25, a couple guys are top 25 to 40, a couple guys are 40. You got to go all the way like 150, let's say. So let's say each team has like 10 players. So you're going to draft them in the beginning of the year. This is how I pick. This is who who we're going to pick. And it's going to be kind of a gamble, right? Let's say you picked Alcaraz last year at 30 and the guy finishes 10. What a pick that was, right? Yeah. And then players are just going to continue to play for themselves for their own points the normal the normal thing that we have right now but for the team championship right um you're going to pick each player's six best results or five i mean you, you really have to think about it like exactly six or seven best results and you just aggregate however many points those that team of players from 150 because maybe you get a guy who's 150 and he ends the, the, the year 30. You know what I mean? That's a, that's going to be a crazy pick. Um, and you get those guys and you combine their their, num- their their points. And at the end of the year, you have whatever team Nike won or team whatever won this, this year. There's bonus incentives for players. Let's say a guy, the guy who won the most amount of points is going to win a million bucks. The guy 
you know, at six is going to win. We you know, think about for a guy who's won 15 in the world, if he gets like 150 grand at the end of the year for bonuses, what a great year. And that doesn't, I just don't see why it couldn't work. The conversation about tennis would be interesting. Like, oh, is that a good pick? Like from the top 10, that guy might be trending down. That guy might be trending up and whatnot. And I think that it would create conversation. I've said this before where tennis is difficult to get fans into it because it's hard to affiliate yourself to either to, to anybody besides the guys who are winning, right? So there's two or three people and we, we love people who are winning. We just love that. But when it's a team, people are diehard fans of teams. They, they can be diehard fans of, you know, the Patriots who, who've won everything forever, but there's people who are diehard hard fans of, you know, the Sacramento Kings that never won anything, but they continue to be fans of the Sacramento Kings. And in F1, people are fanatic about the team, Team Ferrari, Team McLaren, Team whatever. Obviously, they love the drivers, but like once, you know, Verstappen is not the Red Bull guy anymore. It's going to be someone else. They're going to love that guy. Uh-huh. And I think like if you're able to do that in tennis, I, it, it just seems like I, I've tried to think about the negatives and I just like can't because you, you just, you're going to continue the same thing. It's still an individual sport. Adds a little layer, maybe adds a little sort of like drama. You have a team now, whatever it is, but it, it, then you, but you're going to get, all these people from from top 10 to maybe top 150 sort of maybe working together and it again it makes the conversation more fun and it makes it can make tennis again you're going to maybe sell more merchandising or whatever it is all of a sudden if you have fun, fans you could have you know a lot more money in the sport if you did it that way and i just i don't find it no reason why we couldn't do that it would obviously take a lot of time to implement but it, it could be really really fun yeah the problem is I mean, again, it has to exist within the team format. Like, I think that would have to be yeah. a separate portion of the season to have six Nike guys and seven Adidas guys or whatever it is going into a Wimbledon. How do you divide up the draw? How do you make sure everyone's Well, I think up? at the end of the year, I think at the end of the year, could you could have like a, a playoff. It's it. Well, again, I think this is the whole point of make more time for team events like this. Make this a whole portion of the calendar. Even if it's not – even if Wimbledon is independent of this, if you know the team portion's coming up in the three-month part of the year that's dedicated to team tennis, I agree. Like, I think this format works extraordinarily well. The problem is – in professional tennis, when you're trying to have the conversation, as we do here at Crack Rackets, look, we love talking about upside. We love talking about a player's potential, what they do right, what they do wrong, and you know, talking about all, all of these various players' growth uh, throughout the course of a year. But like, there are no trades, there are no free agency. You know, ultimately, a person's result. All, all your root, it, it's an individual. You either like the individual or you not. There's no other. Well, that's what I'm saying. Tie. Yeah, I, I agree with you completely. I will say, even in the f- concept of trying to do what you're talking about in the regular season, I don't know if you can actually do that with the players. I'll tell you what, for the equivalent of fantasy football is what you just described. We're at January 1st every year. You've got your league of you and your 10 friends and you're picking teams and it's basically stock up, stock down. And, you know, you get to pick Mm -hmm. two top 10 players to start the year, whatever. And, you know, three players ranked 20 to 50, all these different things. Mm -hmm. And then there is a free agency and maybe a player moves up. And so now, you know, you have to sell off one of your top 10 players. Who are you relying on? I think that's the format for fantasy tennis. 
I just don't know how you could do that without dedicating its own separate portion of the year. Like it would just be so difficult. I th- I think I think at the end of the who's year, putting up the money for happen, the teams? But, uh, it's really like who's saying this is my team? Like well, I am the represent. You know, you say Team Nike, but it's like does Nike want to do that? I don't know if they do. Like they're like we I don't. It, I, I mean, it's yeah. They're like I don't utopian. need to carry who exactly. It's like I don't need to carry player rank number one fifty because Federer pays off everyone's bills. No, I, I mean I know it's totally utopian, but I'm saying that's probably the the easiest way to make tennis somewhat more of a team thing or like to to find affiliation sure. that player because the, the you know again like lewis hamilton is going to leave mercedes at some point like the fanatics for mercedes are going to continue to you know support mercedes you know what i mean it's not like oh feather retires and now we lose a, this huge you know population of people that don't want to watch tennis anymore because he's his own like brand it's it's a very utopian thing but i've had this conversation like even with marcus and he was just like yeah, like that kind of like makes sense because like it continues to be a very individual sport. It, like it doesn't have to, the team doesn't have to be all buddy buddy, but like the, the 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 conversations would be interesting, right? Like who do you pick in the top twenty five? Who's trending up? Who's trending down? Does it make sense to get this guy? Um, and the teams, I mean, there's 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 money in the world. There's, yeah. there's money, and there's people who are who love tennis. So I, I think that there could be there could be something. It doesn't have to be Nike. It could just be just whatever. No, really. I no, I, I do I do like it. And again, I you know my affinity for team tennis. I will say this: everyone talks about Davis Cup used to be the biggest thing in the world. I don't know anyone who cares about Davis Cup. And I like to think I run in a lot of circles. And it's like, with all due respect, I me who. I like to think if you're making a short list of people who watch the most tennis and are the most plugged in in the tennis world, I like to think given my job, I should be on that list. Mm-hmm. I found out yesterday that Davis Cup is now two out of three rubbers, that it's like single singles, doubles. And I was like, wait, what? Like, I did yeah, not know. That's what I'm saying. It's like I had no idea that it was even two out of three now. And it's like, I don't know yeah. what they're playing for this week. I just know it's Davis Cup. Like, I'm pretty sure this isn't the championship week, but I'm still not 100% mm-hmm. sure, like, where it's leading. And it's like, this is supposed to be one of your flag-bearing events. Literally, you're bearing your home country's flag. And, like, it because they've played around with so with it so much, like, I, it means nothing to me. Absolutely nothing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the thing. It, it, it's hard to, to, to find meaning in in tennis outside of you know again that but that association that you like to have with your favorite athletes right you're you're, you're always you support the guys who win it's just sure this is the nature of the the sport obviously like we as more like fans we can appreciate watching you know two guys who are 50 in the world battle it out you're like wow these guys are good but for most people they're they're not really that interested in that so um how do you get them interested in that typically comes with teams but Obviously, you can change the entire sport to being teams. So, I, the, that live golf is that—that's what they're doing. So they're—they're they're, they're trying to start this like franchises um, through you know the players. Players own it, and and you start this franchises and and whatnot. So I, I'm interested to see how that plays out to then see if it's a model that could work in tennis. Mm-hmm. All right, I like it. Well, last one on Carousel's list: the final thing <sighs> he would do as okay. commissioner for the day. All right, I, I, that, this one I think I, I would be fired immediately as commissioner. <laughs> um, but it's it's again one of those more just like I just like the discussion of it because uh, I've had it with a couple of friends. I'm like, do we with UTR now? Okay, do we even need 
the ATP ranking. So, it, okay, ah, okay, so hear me out. Because the main thing is that the ATP ranking does is provide the pathway to slams. Pathway to slams is the number one thing. It, like that's what everyone plays for is to make it into slams. Now, I think you could you could still have the 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 master all the masters and this the slams the way they are, um, and then you could. It doesn't have to be UTR. I'm just saying like you could change the pathway to slams from just being ATP points to because the pro, the biggest a big issue in tennis is logistical, right? Because you have to travel so much and and there's a limited amount of tournaments and financially it can be very difficult and, and it, it goes back to what i said it can be you know if you are just playing let's say in your area big if they're not you just utr but it's just events that will get you to a certain number in the utr right like you can move up but let's say in your area eventually you're the best you have to move up to a different league you have to be playing somewhere else somewhere else somewhere else but you know, just really the top 104 UTRs make it into the slams. That's the pathway. And obviously, it, the, the higher UTRs are going to make it into the, the the ATP events, not the Masters events. And then you don't really need the ATP tour. You can have a decentralized tour. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to have this one brand name just of the ATP because the ATP, liking it or not, we care about the slams and the slams is not even the ATP. <laughs> like the people really care about the slams and the slams are their own entities, right? Like they're not like they, they give ATP points, but they don't, <laughs> they don't really like are not part of the ATP thing. So they're, they're their own thing. So how would a somewhat decentralized, not tour, but decentralized pathway that funnels into the slams and the ATP uh, or at the Masters um, would make more sense um, no. just to grow the sport and make it like, you know, a little bit more financially um, more sense and all that. Why not? Yeah. Well, first of all, I love it. Second of all, there are rankings more accurate than the ATP rankings because all the ATP rankings does is tell you where you beat someone and in what round you beat mm-hmm. them. And it doesn't actually tell you who the best players are in any given moment. It doesn't tell you a strength of schedule rank of victory. I mean, it does a pretty mm-hmm. good job of working the framework yeah. of who is better than, you know, it, it's, it's fairly accurate, but there are more accurate measures. And you're right. If it became, is number one in the world, Djokovic, still, Djokovic and Adal are still the best. Yeah, exactly. But exactly. Or it's like, I mean, again, so many different things. You're absolutely right. Like yeah. you look at ELO ratings, which are a measurement of who you beat and how you beat them. It's like Ebing oh, Wu. Oh, that? Never heard of that. Oh, Elo Radio. Oh, my friend. Uh, Edgar, or what's his oh, name? I got like to check that Elo. out. Yeah, it's Tennis Abstract. Go to the Elo rankings. It measures, again, weight okay. of your performance. It's not where you beat someone, but it's who you beat and how you beat them. And like Ebing Wu, who's like 33-5 and five this year. He's won a couple challengers. He uh, third-round U.S. Open. You know, he's still ranked one, like, 25 in the world, something crazy like that, or maybe he breaks in after that third round at the U.S. Open, but it's like, according to ELO rankings, he's 46th this year. It's like, you want to actually know, or like Jensen Brooksby, early in 2020, ELO ratings were like, no, this guy is not outside the top 100. This guy is like the 47th best player in the world right now, and trust me, when the ATP opportunities come, he'll make the most of them. A guy like Jack Draper, who has been killing it at the challenger rank uh, level, he's a top 40. Oh, I I remember when I was like 400, 
that I kind of broke 400. I had just won like a, a 25K and I was like doing well. I was 400 ATP, but I was like 170 UTR. Yeah. Like in the world. So like I was, I had just, I think I was like a 15-1 UTR, something like that. And or 1501 and the 15? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, not too shabby. Yeah, I got to the 15 club, 1501, I remember, and I was like in the like 180s. It was at the time I think that the rating was also a little bit higher for everybody. But yeah, um but yeah, I I I think there there are very smart people in the world who could figure that out uh, a little bit better, just so you know, guys who are trending up like that, like even you are more rewarded into to the ATP events and 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 you know they can stay hot for for however long they're hot you know so I think again this this one is like tricky and obviously we have the ATP as the standard these days and ATP rankings but at the end of the day what people what juniors are interested what all of us are interested is the Grand Slams and and obviously the Masters are really fun the Masters could be all ten day long um in that situation so they're the they're the like the pinnacle of the sport those 10 days and you get into to them by i'm saying utr just because that's the the thing now I'm, it could be a totally new thing but you can you get into those just by um you know trending up um winning a lot of matches and and your whatever rating it is uh will will be out there so that that those are my five ideas. I know some of them are a little crazy, but no, um, I, like all I just them. I just find we, we, you you have crazy ideas and then you fine tune them into you know a smaller actually like actionable um, thing. And I and I the problem is again I said it earlier. I just don't think anybody on the ATP wants to do it. You know the Galdazis, whatever. I I think they're very settled in their ways, and um, you know we're losing ground to a sport that you know how I feel about pickleball. <laughs> no, Emerald is fun. It's a fun sport. All pickleball players. It's fun. It's fun when you're drunk, but don't get, don't come here and say it's like this super high skill sport. You just whack <laughs> at a wiffle ball, and it's it goes in because it's a wiffle ball. <laughs> so get out of here with your pickleball. Now today, like I had to, like they were using two courts on tennis courts. Well, I was like, get out of here. This is a tennis court. You know what I mean? It's like, what are you doing? Um, so I think that's that, you know, we, we can't allow that. You know, I think the NBA has done a tremendous job, like getting kids, uh, you know, excited about tennis. I think golf has done a great job getting kids and young adults, you know, us who are in a position now that we can spend money to go to events that we want to do that. But we, most people aren't really incentivized to do it. You know what I mean? It's like people like should be like California should be pumping for the ATP 250 in San Diego. It should be just like, holy, there's a tennis tournament here. It should be pumping. It should be like the waste management open in in Phoenix. But it's not. You know what I mean? It's like not at all. People don't even know there's a tournament going on. So that's that's my issue. No, I agree. I mean, again, it's so fascinating to hear your perspective on all this. I will say there are some obvious ones. It's like, you think the ATP is a governing body. In reality, every tournament says, hey, ATP board, this is the decision we've made. And the ATP is just like, okay, like, I guess that's what we're going with then because every tournament is its own entity. And it's like, yes, we did make, yeah. make a, look, you want to be an ATP event, you're going to follow this 
this it, set of rules. Exactly. And it's like they don't do that, which is you're going to have a kid's issue. day. You're going to have a, you know, you're going to have like what I mean, you're going to have you, you got to you want to be an ATP event. you got to go through this checklist of things. Yeah. You no. know, like maybe that's the, that's the one way of doing it. You or you I mean? can just sign a check and say, here's my licensing for the week. This is now my week. Yeah. Uh, yeah. As things <laughs> are currently satisfied. But no, I mean, again. There are a lot of other things. I'm sure people are like, what about this? What about this? And guess what, folks? Oh, it's an yeah. open conversation. So let us know on Twitter at Carousel, at A.L. Gruskin, what you think we left off of this list. Believe me, these lists are numerous. And I would say go back, check the tape for crew and my thoughts on some of these other things. But as always, my friend, it is a pleasure to hear your voice, a pleasure to get the chance to pick your brain, chat a little tennis with you. Any things we can do here to support what you guys are up to at My Tennis HQ? Uh, no, let's just keep, you know, making some pods here and there and keep like talking. It. And obviously you guys have a, have grown like crazy. So, you know, if you guys who crack rackets fans become my tennis HQ fans and vice versa, uh, if you guys are not on that train yet, you know, you guys are doing all the information that most people aren't. And, and, you know, we are doing hopefully what I want to say the best coaching online, but, but that's my biased opinion. Mine as well for <laughs> um, what it's worth. Uh, and I, and I just, you know, I, I think you and I have aligned visions with just like, we, like, I just kind of want to make tennis cool. You know what I mean? Yeah. I want people to think like, Oh, tennis is actually pretty cool. Like, I don't, I, I, I don't think that we have that. And I think like with, and it's not just me. I mean, shout out to some people who are doing stuff on YouTube. I mean, that kid Felix is crushing it with his like road to the first ATP point and i mean as, ever since he started his channel is crushing it and and you know there's people doing it so if if there's that many people interested in watching this kid trying to get one atp point and he's crushing it with the views it shows that there's there's a craving for something new for new newer formats you know like i i would I'm not even going to talk about like my, my USDA experience. Cause um, <laughs> it's, it, it, it's like, it's, it's the typical thing of like dinosaurs running a, a thing, not understanding this new media that we have, this new, you know, how people are, are, are looking at, at tennis and watching tennis in different medias and learning tennis from different medias. I mean, Marcos gets, you know, more recognized now in tournaments because of the videos or because he's come to the channel, you know, like he has multiple people. It's like, oh, thanks for coming on the videos. It's super helpful. You know, I'm at the open. I took like 20 selfies at the open, like me, like what? Yeah. It's like, it's so weird. It's so weird, but there's a craving for that. And, and I think that's what we need to do. And I mean, that's what I think you guys are doing. That's what I hopefully that's what we are doing. And, and if you guys want to go check it out, I mean, obviously we got the channel, we got the website, got a newsletter we got a vip thing if you guys want to you know participate in live calls and stuff like that so that's my my shameless plug i love to hear it no quick marco story for you i was at cincinnati and he won his first round match and i was like oh like can i get an interview with him after the match whatever because we know marco's pretty well here at crack uh, rackets mm-hmm. now and you know at the time the atp guy who was extraordinarily nice immediately afterwards he was like i don't really know you so like i don't know like how good i feel about this interview like five minutes max I was like, all right, dude, like, whatever. Like, you know, typical, like, that's crazy. Play. But then Marcos walks out and he goes, Gruskin, dude, it's great to see you with like a typical Marcos smile. And yeah. I could see the ATP guy be like, oh, 
I didn't know you were actually like people actually knew who and like everything from there because Marcos gave me the seal of credibility. Like everything the rest of the week was easier. So as always, shout out to Marcos Giron, one of the nicest yeah. guys. Mar- Marcos um, is in the, the man. Business. So yeah, absolutely. But crew. Always a pleasure to get the chance to chat with you. Yes, it's time to get you back on the show with more frequency. So that's my promise to our listeners. But again, end of September, get limber, my friend. Gruskin versus Cell. It's going to be two out of three sets. Yeah, yeah. You have let to play me, let me know you're here. Yeah, absolutely. No, that'll be tough. Yeah, exactly. Thank you, my friend. All right. Take care. Hope all of you enjoyed my conversation with my Tennis HQ co-founder, Carew Sell. A massive thank you to Carew for taking the time to come on the show. It was great. Perhaps you could hear it in our tones of voices to just get the chance to chat with someone. I won't lie. I consider him a friend at this point. I hope he would consider me a friend as well. Certainly hope we are able to connect in Los Angeles. Maybe play a set of tennis. Get that out there to all of you tennis fans. If that's something you're interested in, tweet at us at AL Gruskin at Carousel. Uh, Let us know if you are interested because if even one person actually is interested in making that matchup happen, I promise we will do so uh, here at Crack Rackets. But again, a massive thank you to Carew. And I imagine most of you probably are already, but if you're not, go hit that subscribe button for my Tennis HQ. Let's get them to 100,000 so we can get that plaque in hand with that set. Of course, another week continuing on in the professional tennis world. Going to have a ton of action this week. ATP Tour resumes play at the tour level with Davis Cup coming to a close. You've got the women headed over to Japan. I believe there's another tour level event as well. I'm blanking on it right now, but then you've got the challengers. And of course, we just had another fun week of action in the professional tennis world. So of course, if you're looking to catch up on everything that's happened, head on over to our mini break podcast feed. We've got you covered Monday through Friday on that show. Of course, a shout out as always to our super producer, Daniel Westoff for the of an editing job he does day in, day out, making all of our content possible. Shout out as well to our friends at DraftKings for their support of this show. With that said, though, for the fantastic Carousel, our super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at DraftKings, and from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. Hey, great shot, and we'll see you all next time. Thanks, everyone. 